You can look back, just don't stare, and other mindset lessons you can learn from my move. Hey, welcome to Business Mindset Mastery. My name is Heather Gray. I'm a mindset and performance coach over at choosetohaveitall.com. And I just finished a long weekend of packing up. Uh, purging is the word of the weekend, I think, and getting things ready to donate or trash. It's all about simplifying and getting things ready. While my husband and I head out uh, cross country to move to California in the coming months. I was thinking as I was going through all the actual physical labor, and I totally confessed to thinking to myself at various points of the weekend, I am woman, hear me roar, as I was packing up all the boxes and getting everything done. But there were so many lessons learned and so many insights. I think that people who are in the personal development journey can learn from moving, from simplifying, from bringing things down to the bare parts. I think sometimes when we're uh, thinking about these things and exploring personal development and trying to be these bigger, better versions of ourselves, sometimes we lose track of the basics, of the fundamentals, of just the simple steps we need to take to make things better. And I, you know, I was thinking to myself at one point, like, wow, my back hurts, but this is going to make for a really good podcast episode. So listen in, dig in, and we're going to be diving deep on the other side of this break. I'll talk to you soon. first question I found myself asking was, why did this take me so long? Um, I get that you're listening to a podcast, so you can't see the pictures of boxes and bags that I've collected, but I have 13 boxes off to donations and eight bags of trash um, that are getting ready for the dumpster as soon as I can get the maintenance guy to lift the lid because the lid to our dumpster in our building is way too heavy. So right now I have piles of bags waiting to uh, catch the maintenance man in action so he can help me out. Um, but 13 boxes and probably eight bags. What took me so long to get rid of all of that? Why was I fine having the stuff in my home if I didn't really need it, want it? Um, I know there's this Japanese author who writes books on organization and tidying up and simplifying. And her rule, I, I apologize for not knowing the name of the author, but her rule is, is if it doesn't bring you joy, get rid of it. And I, I really liked that concept. And I really like, too, this idea of a fresh start, a cross-country move and just like get all new things and not worry about packing a ton of crap into a big truck and getting it across country. Just keep it simple. So I was good with downsizing and I was good with simplifying, but it occurred to me that if there's room for things we don't need, why don't we just get rid of it? Why, because there's room, do we keep it? And what would it have taken if I wasn't moving to get rid of that stuff? Would I have just kept taking it in and taking it on until suddenly I didn't have room and then I would find the clear out? I think we need to pay attention because we're so used to sitting still and accepting the status quo when I look at the boxes that are piled up in my living room right now and I see the bags that are just a little ways down the way from those boxes, I think to myself, what took me so long? Why was I willing to stand still? 
And my challenge to you is whatever clutter you've got going on, and some of you are going to have physical clutter, some of you are going to have the disorganized desk, some of you are going to have that god-awful junk drawer that collects all kinds of things, but then when you need something in it, you can never find it. Some of you are blessed with houses that have tons and tons of storage, so when you don't want it anymore, instead of getting rid of it, you store it for a rainy day. But what are we holding on to? Is it just because it's easy? It's easier to put something on a top shelf and not deal with it in the moment than solve it and figure out who we might donate it to, give it away to, or toss? Like, what is keeping us in that same space? Because my belief and kind of my bias watching myself go through it this weekend is that we must be really afraid of letting go of something if we're holding on to it. And sometimes for some people, it's, well, what if I need it down the road? Um, sometimes, though, I think it's a little more metaphorical. I think it's about holding on to stories about ourselves of who we were, who we wish we were, or something in the middle. But I think that there's meaning attached to the things that we keep. Either we're simply procrastinating and lazy because we don't want to solve it, or we're afraid. And that word keeps coming up, doesn't it, when we talk about mindset afraid? What are we really afraid of? Um, are we really so afraid that like I have this gigantic punch bowl and this is the example I'll use. It's a plastic punch bowl with a plastic ladle. And I stared at it for five minutes wondering if I wanted to pack it and bring it with me or should I donate it? Like, am I really worried that at my first party in California, I might have to go out and buy another plastic punch bowl because it was like $7? Um, um, instead of packing it? Like, what is the thought and the worry? Is it the idea that if we give something away, we're going to regret it and wish we had it? Um, or that we're letting go of ourselves or letting go of a wish? But I don't think we start purging, letting go, and ultimately moving on until we get clear on why we're staying in the same place. It occurred to me, too, that if it doesn't get scheduled, it doesn't get done. So often we collect nonsense and we put like gifts we're never going to use because we feel bad for the person who gave them to us or we keep like the extra punch bowl that somebody brought for a potluck or whatever the, you know, the useless piece of thing is because we'll, we tell ourselves we'll deal with it like on the next rainy day or I know the story I used to tell myself and, you know, living in New England, this one was easy. It's like, oh, on a snow day, I'll, I'll take one of the snow and I'll like declutter and get rid of everything and it'll be such a good start for spring or something like that. We tell ourselves all kinds of stories for when we'll do things. But we know in, in life and in business, if it doesn't get scheduled, it doesn't get done. At some point in time when I was a new homeowner for this place, we moved in 2008, so we're approaching 10 years here. Um, every January, I cleaned out all the cupboards and cleaned out all the cabinets and did a yearly purge. And I know that 
um, in 2015. My husband was sick, and I didn't do it that year because I was tired um, and felt like I had done enough chores. <laughs> See how that goes? We tell ourselves stories all the time, right? Um, so I told myself, a, you know, I told myself I would take a year off. Well, I got out of the habit, so I haven't done it since 2015, which is why we're now at like, you know, 10 boxes and 8 bags and counting. But if you want to reevaluate your life, either of physical belongings because you see the value in the big purge and donating and getting rid of things you don't need, you need to schedule it. But the same thing you got to do with the garbage in your head, the stories you have about yourself, the stresses you've managed, the obstacles you want to overcome, the things you need to problem solve. Sometimes when we're in a mindset kind of, um, I don't know what the right word for it is here, but like when we're in a mindset quandary, when we're not really sure where we're going or what we want to do or what the thing is that's getting in our way, sometimes we need to set a scheduled amount of time to think about it. And that might just mean going for a walk and giving it some time. It might mean doing a journal entry, entry or talking to a friend, but deciding that this was reason enough to schedule it is really important. And when we don't do that, I think it's so much easier that to leave us last on the list, to leave whatever's on our minds, on our hearts, whatever is taking up space. If we don't deal with it, if we don't make time for it, I think it keeps filling us. And I kept finding myself wondering when I looked at bookshelves of pictures that I don't really care about anymore, they're just still there out of habit. But meanwhile, I have all these awesome recent photos of my nephews and my phone. Something seemed backwards. And if I want that to be different, if I want my present to look differently, I need to schedule it. If I had put it into my schedule, you know, take down old 15-year-old pictures of goddaughter <laughs> replaced with current teenage version of goddaughter and, you know, update your nephew so one of them still isn't in diapers even though he's a big boy going to preschool now, it probably would have happened. I would have updated my story. I would have updated my version of myself. But we got to write this down. And we have to do it with planful intent. When we, anytime we tell ourselves, oh, I might get to that someday. I'm going to do that another time or on the next rainy day, we just have to be really honest with ourselves that that doesn't happen and it doesn't work. What ends up happening is we don't make those changes until we're forced to. And then we have to sit in that uncomfortable feeling of doing it at a time when it doesn't feel like it's entirely in our control. I said at the start of the show that you can look back, just don't stare. It this was a quote, I can't take credit for it, but it came across my newsfeed this weekend and I was like, man, Facebook is on point this weekend because I needed that quote and it came across, you know, my feed right at the perfect time. You see, I used to have a best friend. Um, up until 2013, I had a friend, I'd say, um, and she was just my very, very best friend. And we have been friends for 15 years. And in 2013, after a long story that nobody needs to hear, we weren't friends anymore. And for a while after that time, um, there was a piece of art on my wall that she had given me, and it said, Sisters at Heart. 
And I remember the moment I decided to take it down. We weren't friends anymore. Every time I looked at it, it was making me sad. It was definitely one of those things that I was holding on to, and it was holding me back, and I knew it. Um, And then I remember that moment, too, when I finally took it down, and I had thought about donating it. Um, I had thought about getting rid of it. And that just broke my heart at the time, you know? So I wrapped it in tissue, and I put it in the back of a drawer, you know, on the off chance that that wasn't the ending to the friend story, that maybe someday things would change and there'd be a different ending. Um, I wasn't ready for that ending, I guess. Uh, so I held on for just a little while longer. And then this weekend when I'm taking this, you know, piece of tissue wrapped, whatever out of the drawer, I couldn't even remember what it was. I couldn't remember doing it, using it. I had no idea what I had, uh, you know, used it for. And then I unwrapped it and I saw it and everything came back, the tears included. And I just missed my friend and got sad all over again um, that what had happened and what had, you know, sort of divided us and ultimately separated us. And then I thought to myself, like, was it worth it? Was putting it in a drawer on the off chance that the ending would be different, was it worth it? And the reality is, is I probably wasn't capable of doing anything other than what I did at the time. But no, I don't think it was worth it. I, I think that, I, I don't think the Heather that you're knowing now, that you're listening to now, would have made that same choice. I think the Heather you're meeting now would have probably let it go even off the wall sooner than then. But um, it wasn't worth it, and it wasn't the right call. Because sometimes when we don't close a loop, we keep something open. And I think I might have done that by holding on to the chance of a different ending. I remember when new people started coming into my life after that friendship had ended and we weren't talking anymore. Um, I really clearly like remember consciously thinking I'm not looking for a new best friend. Um, when people wanted to get to know me and be closer to me and develop relationships with me, I didn't have a best friend, but I wasn't looking for one. And I think that the story and the tale and the thread chases all the way back to the picture that I stored in my drawer. I was keeping a door open that I needed to shut. I want you to think about what kind of things are you holding on to that you really do need to let go of? What, you know, mementos, symbols, pieces of anything are you holding on to that you know it's well past time to let go of? Because once you close that door, you open something else. Yes, sometimes it's as cliche as it sounds. Sometimes it's a window. But sometimes instead of a door, it's like a double wide door. Because I have new best, I have several best friends now, I would say. But I have a new best friend that my other friend didn't even know. And she came into my life and has filled it with just immense joy. Like I get emotional thinking about it. Sorry about that. Um, and I, if I hadn't taken a chance, if I had still held on to this idea that I already had a best friend, I would have lost out on knowing and loving someone who is a better friend to me, who has my back and shows up every single darn day in ways that my other friend hadn't. And I needed to let go 
in order for that to happen. And I, I think that's the most important lesson I could teach you today, but you know me, I have a few more. One of the other things that packing up and shipping out has shown me is that sometimes I collect things that are better representations of the person I wish I was rather than the person I really am. I'm laughing and giggling um, <laughs> because in those boxes that are in my living room are 36 ball jars. Do you know what those are? Like the mason canning jars that people use for canning jams and jellies. I have 36 of them. I found them in two different cabinets of my kitchen, like in the way, way back, because at some point in time, I decided I was going to get into canning. Um, so I bought a bunch and I have the canning materials. Um, and then I also too collected anytime somebody was giving me homemade canned goods like jams or jellies, I would recycle the jars. And apparently I kept the recycled jars in a separate place <laughs> than the ones that I had bought from the store. So probably I didn't know I had recycled jars in the house and then bought more and ended up with a whopping 36 of them. But I thought to myself as I was putting things in boxes, I also uncovered these craft projects. You know, those Pinterest boards are the death of you sometimes. You can get all these kinds of craft ideas. And I bought materials and fabric and markers and pins and all sorts of things because I was going to do a Pinterest craft someday. And I canned maybe once for one weekend, and I never did any of those Pinterest craft projects, but I bought the stuff. And I was thinking to myself, how often we do that, right? We put energy and time and money towards the idea of who we want to be rather than who we really are. And when we don't accept who we really are, I think sometimes that's how we miss out on what makes us great. I, you know, I said on, on Friday's episode when I asked you about, you know, do you know what your unfair advantage is or do you know what your um, uh, unique selling proposition is? It's what makes us different, right? And what makes us different is what makes us great. I think that when we're so focused on trying to be some different version of ourselves, I think we lose out on that. I think that's how our view of that gets clouded sometimes. I'm not a craft person. I've never been a craft person. I think I stopped being a craft person in elementary school. And I love cooking like the lazy Sunday dinners, the low and slow kind of cooking projects but I'm not a canner. Um, I, I held out hope that I would make my husband homemade pickled vegetables because we enjoy them so much when they're appetizers at a restaurant, but I'm not a canner. I am not a happy homemaker. I am the person who enjoys a nice meal out with someone else cooking a good bottle of wine and some form of delicious dessert. I'm not the person who's going to stay home and slave unless it's for like a party, right? I'm the party person. I want to do all that homemade cooking for parties. You know, if you come to my house someday and we have a party, I will make everything from scratch because that's how I roll. But I'm not going to be slaving away with some piece of fabric on a random Sunday afternoon doing a Pinterest craft project. And I think sometimes when we spend time on this version of ourselves that isn't true to ourselves, 
It's a symbol and a sign that we're not accepting who we are, that we're not fully embracing where we are right now and respecting where we are right now in the process. I think that's disrespectful of ourselves, of the talents that we've acquired, the hurts and the wounds and the scars we've collected, that somehow that isn't enough. We have to be more. And sometimes I think we tell ourselves this story that if we just buy the thing, we've become the crafter. And it doesn't even matter if we actually become the crafter. And I'm sure at some point this whole craft notion developed because I was self-conscious about how much TV I was watching. But maybe I could just be unapologetic about the fact that I like a good Netflix binge and see what happens next. One of the other things that packing up and shipping out has shown me is that sometimes I collect things that are better representations of the person I wish I was rather than the person I really am. I'm laughing and giggling um, <laughs> because in those boxes that are in my living room are 36 ball jars do you know what those are? Like the mason canning jars that people use for canning jams and jellies. I have 36 of them. I found them in two different cabinets of my kitchen, like in the way, way back, because at some point in time, I decided I was going to get into canning. Um, so I bought a bunch and I have the canning materials. Um, and then I also too collected anytime somebody was giving me homemade canned goods like jams or jellies, I would recycle the jars. And apparently I kept the recycled jars in a separate place <laughs> than the ones that I had bought from the store. So probably I didn't know I had recycled jars in the house and then bought more and ended up with a whopping 36 of them. But I thought to myself as I was putting things in boxes, I also uncovered these craft projects. You know, those Pinterest boards are the death of you sometimes. You can get all these kinds of craft ideas. And I bought materials and fabric and markers and pins and all sorts of things because I was going to do a Pinterest craft someday. And I canned maybe once for one weekend, and I never did any of those Pinterest craft projects, but I bought the stuff. And I was thinking to myself, how often we do that, right? We put energy and time and money towards the idea of who we want to be rather than who we really are. And when we don't accept who we really are, I think sometimes that's how we miss out on what makes us great. I, you know, I said on, on Friday's episode when I asked you about, you know, do you know what your unfair advantage is or do you know what your um, uh, unique selling proposition is? It's what makes us different, right? And what makes us different is what makes us great. I think that when we're so focused on trying to be some different version of ourselves, I think we lose out on that. I think that's how our view of that gets clouded sometimes. I'm not a craft person. I've never been a craft person. I think I stopped being a craft person in elementary school. And I love cooking like the lazy Sunday dinners, the low and slow kind of cooking projects. 
projects, but I'm not a canner. Um, I, I held out hope that I would make my husband homemade pickled vegetables because we enjoy them so much when they're appetizers at a restaurant, but I'm not a canner. I am not a happy homemaker. I am the person who enjoys a nice meal out with someone else cooking a good bottle of wine and some form of delicious dessert. I'm not the person who's going to stay home and slave unless it's for like a party, right? I'm the party person. I want to do all that homemade cooking for parties. You know, if you come to my house someday and we have a party, I will make everything from scratch because that's how I roll. But I'm not going to be slaving away with some piece of fabric on a random Sunday afternoon doing a Pinterest craft project. And I think sometimes when we spend time on this version of ourselves that isn't true to ourselves, it's a symbol and a sign that we're not accepting who we are, that we're not fully embracing where we are right now and respecting where we are right now in the process. I think that's disrespectful of ourselves, of the talents that we've acquired, the hurts and the wounds and the scars we've collected, that somehow that isn't enough. We have to be more. And sometimes I think we tell ourselves this story that if we just buy the thing, we've become the crafter. And it doesn't even matter if we actually become the crafter. And I'm sure at some point this whole craft notion developed because I was self-conscious about how much TV I was watching. But maybe I could just be unapologetic about the fact that I like a good Netflix binge and see what happens next. Here's something else I learned. Doing is always better than thinking about it. I don't even know how many months it's been at this point since my husband and I started perceiving the idea that we were going to have to move at the end of his fellowship, that the job he wanted just didn't exist in New England and we were going to have to move out of state for it. I can't remember really when those pieces started coming together for us. I think it was probably around June or July or so. Um, and in all the time and in all of the traveling to the different places for the interviews and all the conversations with him and some of the squabbles with him, all of the conversations with my friends and the squabbles with my friends. I just a lot of thinking and not a lot of doing. I did what was necessary. I got on the plane for the interviews. I had the hard conversations. I made the hard choices. But other than that, it was really all in my head. And if you know me personally, you know that um, spontaneously crying at the thought of a move is not something that's unfamiliar around here. There have been a good amount of tears as I get ready for the amount of goodbyes that I have before me and a lot of you know, just tough conversations with people that you have to have when you're moving 3,000 miles away. And I, I just, you know, the months before this, just a lot of crying and not that much crying this weekend because I was finally doing something. I had the boxes. I had my little razor blade to, you know, <laughs> you know, us women, we get all excited when we can do anything somewhat handy. Um, but I, you know, I, I worked my razor blade. I worked the markers. I had the packing tape and that packing tape, by the way, is obnoxious. Anybody who knows how to load it automatically deserves a Nobel prize or something. But I started doing it and breaking things down into smaller tasks. I went room to room initially having no idea where to start or where to begin. But at some point, I just pressed play. And I, I got going on it. 
and it happened. And now I've got 10 finished boxes of volunteer things that are going out the door, a bunch of trash bags, and then I have plans for the next round of things that I need to get done. Doing is better than thinking about it. Because when we do that, we can tune into our capability. I feel so proud of myself. I'm bummed that I missed out on the good, you know, um, fun times that a lot of people got to have on the long weekend. But it was raining here in Massachusetts anyway. So I probably would have done very little other than sit on this couch and watch more Netflix. So it's probably good that I had something to do, right? But it's this idea that I didn't cry as much. Obviously, I cried at the normal, natural, expected, sentimental moments. But once I was finally doing it and out of my head and not imagining it anymore, there was room and possibility on the other side that things could be better. I was looking at the books that I was deciding to keep because, yes, I am a hardcover girl. I have pages that I like to turn and I, you know, the ones I keep are special to me, right? And I was thinking to myself like, oh, when I move, I could be rereading this in my backyard or something because right now we live in a condo building and we don't have a backyard. And I started to imagine what it would be like um, on a sunny afternoon just reading a book outside because I never take the initiative to do that without an immediate back, you know, backyard. Like in a condo, you just end up finding yourself staying inside a lot. And then the next thing I knew, because it was a long weekend, because because I, I would know everyone else was having tons of fun, I thought about it and I decided for myself I needed to set myself up for success. So the first thing I did is I made a promise to myself it wouldn't be an all-work weekend. And I took my best friend that I was telling you about earlier and we went apple picking and she had never done it before. So I could introduce her to northern New England and we just had a lovely time walking through the orchard and picking our apples and you know, it just was a perfect fall day, and yes, it came complete with an apple cider donut at the end. Any of you New Englanders know the deal that those two things have to go hand in hand. And then I had my music playlist, so that once I was packing the boxes, and once I was home doing the work, and the fun time was over, I also thought to myself, what do I need to do to make this more enjoyable? And I just put on my favorite tunes, I hit play and I started packing up. In addition to that killer playlist, I also planned on takeout for dinner because I knew I wasn't going to feel like cooking on top of all of that work. But once I had the plan set of what I would need to make a tedious, boring task enjoyable, it got done. I did it for two days in a row. I you know, was able to see a friend and have some fun fall time, but I also was hugely productive. And the reason why that happened is because I did what I knew I needed to do to set myself up for success. And I think sometimes when we're tackling those big projects that we already feel bad about, that we procrastinated on, that we got distracted from, we just resign ourselves to misery. It's almost like our punishment for having procrastinated in the first place. Rather than recognizing like, fine, it's water under the bridge. Didn't do it when I should have, but I'm doing it now. What can I do to make it more enjoyable? And I think that's, you know, that's part of the process. And then next and lastly, we have to accept that we're perfectly imperfect. I'm a social scientist. My training is in clinical social work. 
and I'm married to an engineer who became a doctor. If you can imagine those two personality types for a second trying to pack a box, you will probably guess that it came with some squabbles. And of course, as soon as the squabble happens, the first thing that happens for me is the story I tell myself is, I can't believe I'm moving 3,000 miles away with just you, and we can't even pack a box together, right? Does that sound familiar? I'm sure I'm not the only one who went there, and I'm sure you all can recognize that in moments of fight or flight and the big scary times in our lives, as soon as an obstacle comes in our path, as soon as something makes it look like we're not going to get exactly what we want and it's it's just not going right. We tell ourselves all kinds of scary stories and we remind ourselves of all the ways that it's just not going to go our way. And the reality is, is that sure, I am sure there's some perfectly perfectly healthy couples in the most adaptive way process possible know how to pack boxes um, without having a squabble. I'm sure there's couples far better than my husband and I. But I also know my husband and I will squabble. We're going to squabble here and we're going to squabble there. What The part I can control is that I don't add the dramatic undertone of a story that because I'm nervous about the move, because it's an emotional thing, a squabble means something different now than it did a couple of weeks ago. That's the story I'm telling myself. And that's the story that sets us up for failure. When we give in and we lean into that fight or flight response in moments of fear or trepidation, that's what holds us back. And it's what keeps us small. And I think that it's, you know, it's something that we have to give ourselves credit for sometimes that if we want to become better, bigger, bolder versions of ourselves, sometimes we need to stop, think, reevaluate, get really clear on who we are and what's realistic in terms of expectations given all the players involved. And then the other thing I was thinking is we can let it be easy, right? Like, it doesn't have to be so hard all the time, so burdensome, so tedious. We can let it be easy. I have really valuable things that I'm giving away for free because I don't want to go on Craigslist and try to sell it or put it on Facebook and have my old, all my friends start fighting over it and telling me that who's going to show up first to the house to pick it up only to have nobody come to the house to pick it up. I know that I'm not getting the best dollar, you know, the best bang for my buck with this, but it's easy. Um, I know too that like the donation pickup could come in a couple of weeks to pick it up. A truck could come right to the house. And I've decided that I'm going to drive it to a drop-off center so I can get it out of my house this week and get on with the next, next batch of boxes. But it starts with a choice in our lives to let it be easy. We don't always have to take the long way. This is what daily mindset looks like in your regular every day. I just walked you through it. People like to talk about journaling and meditating and getting centered and all of that. You probably have gathered by now that I'm not that mindset coach. I think mindset practice is moving in your regular everyday, being really clear on who you are, who you want to be, where you're going, and how you're going to get there. 
recognizing that sometimes we learn the lessons when we're unwrapping tissue paper, that sometimes we learn the lessons when we're staring at 36 ball jars. We're going to have these moments of insight. We get to choose what we do with them. Do we just say, oh, that's interesting, or oh, that's cool, or like me, that'll make for a good podcast episode? Or do we decide to do something differently next time? Do we decide to be somebody different next time? It's not easy, my friends. But after two days of doing it, mindset and regular every day, I can tell you it's absolutely worth it. Thanks so much for joining me in this chat today. It was quite cathartic for me. I hope you got some takeaways from it yourself. If you want to keep talking, I'd really love that we, you know, I'd really love it if we could do that. Find me over at Facebook. I have a Facebook group, Choose to Have It All. You can send me an email. Let me know what you thought about today's episode, Heather at Choose to Have It All. And if you liked what I had to say and you want to hear what I'll have to say tomorrow, subscribe and perhaps leave a review. That's how people find me. That's how I get the word out about who I am, what I'm doing, and how I'm serving. I hope I helped you today, and I think you helped me by listening. Thanks so much, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.